Flying Bull Productions presents Laugh, Literature, and Film. It's the good stuff. Yeah. It's the Laugh Podcast. This is episode 113. Over there is Mr. Two Frames. Howdy. He's one of your hosts. How are you? I'm doing well. And I'm the L Train. I'm the other host. Mr. Two Frames, have you ever been attacked by a bear? Nope. I haven't been to San Francisco yet. Have you ever seen a bear in real life person in that's not inside of a cage? I know uh, we're talking about bears in the wild. Have you ever seen a bear in the wild? Never seen a bear in the wild. I did have a friend who saw a bear in Fairfax County once while he was on a walk. Oh, yeah? Yeah. He was just on the trail back behind his house. Well, there's a lot of deer over there. Yeah, but bear. <laughs> I get it. I get it. There was a bear October 15th of last year, according to Yanan Wang, and writing in the Washington Post, that strolled through a Montana high school. Oh, that'd be awesome. And they went on bear lockdown. <laughs> they have video tape, video footage of it. Strolled through the school. Now, could you imagine that happening in our school? A bear? A bear. Oh. Bear lockdown. And then... Every subsequent year, we'd have to have the bear drill. The bear drill. The bear lockdown drill. So, now. That'd be great. About a month after that. Tell tell the kids to be quiet. Just (laughs) grin and bear it. Yeah. Why? There's a bear right outside the door. Quick, does anyone have a picnic basket we can distract them with? (laughs) Uh, A picnic basket. All right, so about a month after that, did you hear about the Boy Scout leader that was mauled for 80 minutes by a bear? Nope. Bear snatched him. Ooh, jeez. I got really excited about it when I was acting this out. He snatched this Boy Scout leader right from underneath his troops, or Boy Scout troop, pulled him into the cage and mauled him. And, uh, oh, this, oh it's a black bear, yeah, um, in New Jersey, which is not far from here. <laughs> and uh, Pedrino, this guy, could hear him huffing for 80 minutes. He told his sons, or I guess his son, was one of the Boy Scouts. They had to go find help for him. At a zoo. No. They were out in the they said, were out in the wild. back into his cage. Cave. Uh, bear cave. cave. Bears live in caves. Pulled his First sweatshirt. I thought the bear was up in a tree and just like dropped down, you know, was hanging by his toes and grabbed the guy and pulled him back up into the tree. Like Batman. Into the tree? Yeah. That's where I thought the bear was at first, you were saying. So you said you because you said something like he just dropped down and grabbed the leader from the middle of the group. <laughs> So I thought the bear was like Batman, hanging upside down in a tree, grabbed him. That'd be awesome. Um, I wish more bears were superheroes. Well, the way I figure it, this came after a, they they extended the bear hunting season in New Jersey for an extra like three weeks. This is like right at the end of that week or a couple of days after that. Mm-hmm. In that time period, that extension, they killed 500 bears. And this bear got away. So I... He actually, what they did was they lured him away with some food mm-hmm. and honey or something, because bears, they love them some honey. And then he came out of the cave and the, one of the dogs, they had a dog, a search dog or something with him, started barking and scared the, the bear off and he ran away. They never caught him. So mm-hmm. I figure it's humans, 500, bears, one. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. 500 to one. Anyway, how is this related to anything having to do with movies? Yeah, how are you going to segue now? The most famous bear attack in movies, or the most controversial, I suppose, now is um, this movie, The Revenant. It was a couple of weeks 
ago, there, there was a released version of the film. They said that Leonardo DiCaprio had been raped by a bear. Did you see those headlines? Nope. Never saw these supposed you never... headlines. <laughs> All right. It's, it's on the internet. on the interwebs. It's because your favorite story back in December. Well, now my new favorite story is about the bear wandering through the high school. Because I kind of want that to happen to us. So our movie this week is The Revenant. thing to do is track a new course back up online. Then what we gonna do? Sit out there like a bunch of goddamn ducks. You and your half-breed son get to walk on out. I'm talking to you. for as long as necessary. I understand. Do it! Help! A frontiersman on a fur trading expedition in the 1820s, this is from IMDb, fights for survival after being mauled by a bear and left for dead by members of his own hunting team. And that's just sort of like the starting point, I think, of the movie. Yeah. Yeah, that's the first 25 minutes of the film. Yeah, and... And, and a lot of other stuff goes on. A lot too. of other stuff goes on. This is written uh, and directed by Alejandro Gonzalez Enyarito, along with... Uh, co-written with Mark L. Smith, uh, starring Leonardo DiCaprio as frontiersman Hugh Glass. Uh, Tom Hardy is one of his two adversaries in the film, along with the bear. Donald Gleason. Stars as Captain Andrew Henry. Oh, sorry. Hardy's uh, name's Fitzgerald in the movie. Uh, yeah, Donald Gleason or Donald Gleason. The M and the H are silent in his name, supposedly. And Will Poulter stars as Bridger. I think those are the key actors in this movie so far. Mm-hmm. There's also a guy named Dave Stomach Wound. That's his actual name <laughs> in the script. And Stubby Bill, which gives you sort of an idea of what this movie's like. The, yeah. This, Hardcore. Uh, uh, Hugh Glass was a real frontiersman. This is based in part on a true story, but at the end of the movie, they say based in part on the novel right. that someone wrote about right. this whole thing. Since there there are a lot of differences in how this film ends versus how everything ended in real life, and mm-hmm. we'll probably touch on that in the spoiler section. Yeah, we can touch a little bit on it here. And, I mean, he was his own person. Um, all these guys were famous frontiersmen, as mm-hmm. far as I know. I mean, a lot of them are real people. I don't know about Dave's stomach wound, but I know this guy, Jim Bridger, or Bridger, the Will Poulter character. That's the person that Aldo Raines references in Inglorious Bastards. As I'm a descendant of John L. Bridger, or however he says it. I don't know. That's the Bridger they're talking about. Mm-hmm. So he's a real life character. And um, like you said, uh, Hugh Glass and J- John Fitzgerald. Bridger, they all sort of worked in the 1820s and 30s in, uh, this is, I think, set in South Dakota. And uh, they were fur trappers and traders and miscegenators. A lot of them are intermarried with the uh, 
Native Americans in that area. So they 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 ca- they touch on a lot of different themes in this movie. It's not just about a bear attack. But uh, my, I'm really wondering what you thought of it because it was one of our most anticipated films of the year. Oh yeah, and I think all of Hollywood has had has been trying to anticipate this film because it's had such a troubled production history. It was originally budgeted for about sixty million. I think they tried to get Inurito to do it for thirty million. He's like, "There's no way. I need sixty million. I do it for sixty million. Eventually, the budget ballooned up to one hundred and thirty-five million, mainly because it just took so long to film this. Mm-hmm. You know, and they were filming in such remote locations. Uh, part of this was filmed in America, part in Canada, and then when winter ended here, they had to go down to Argentine to finish it. Argentine, Argentine. <laughs> Why is it Argentine? I like the sound of that. I think the whole country should be renamed Argentine. Shorten it. Yeah. Makes it a lot easier for us. Um, So really, really difficult. Uh, Inurito had a lot of bad press in making this film. Yeah, I heard a lot. A lot of people talk badly about him. I think in the long run, though, he comes out looking pretty good. This is an impressive film visually. Uh, A lot of his crew members left Mm -hmm. the shoot, and then they talked bad about it. But yeah, you're right. Um the is it Lubieski? Who was the 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 cinematographer for this? He won two years ago for Gravity. Mm-hmm. He won last year for Birdman. I think he's likely to win an Oscar this year for cinematography in in this movie. Oh, yeah. it. So uh, it'll be interesting to see how that all shakes out when we get into the Oscar season, which is coming up pretty soon here. Yeah. No, I mean overall, I think it's great. It, it depicts uh, a time period that we don't see a whole lot. These, this 1820s, you know, pretty much you see stuff revolutionary and then we skip ahead 70 years and we get to the Civil War, mm-hmm. right? So the time period in between, you don't see a whole lot. And the harshness of nature and the power of nature really comes through strongly. Not just, you know, the bear attack, but also the freezing cold, yeah, the all the snow, the rugged landscape. And even though it beats up Leonardo DiCaprio for the whole movie, it never does so with any evilness. The real evil comes from uh, the John Fitzgerald character played by Tom Hardy. Mm-hmm. I mean, that really shows you uh, that man is our own worst enemy. I mean, Leo alone in nature, he's he gets along pretty well. But Tom Hardy plays one of the most evil characters in recent memory. Ooh, I might take you to task on that a little bit. It, the, one of the most evil characters in recent memory. All right. I mean, I there, there's a lot of ambiguity in this movie. And right. I think Inurita is playing around with that a little bit, but I like I like how you mentioned the, about the the how nature is depicted and that epic struggle is is one of mutual respect. Well, not mutual respect, but at least respect on the part of uh, Glass mm-hmm. in this movie, played by Leonardo DiCaprio, and you just kind of see him accepting his role and what he has to do. Um, I was, I mean, I the, it's a beautiful film, so they capture the the beauty of nature in this uh they also capture like you said the power of nature i was visually i was like amazed at how much i loved the movie it was almost like being out in nature mm-hmm. with indian shooting arrows at you and stuff <laughs> uh the times when it was allowed to just be a sort of a, a study of nature and man's role in nature were the best parts of the movie to me but there were times where i was taken out of the movie and it and it made the experience a little bit less than what I was hoping for. I'm still struggling as to whether or not or where it lands on my list at the end of the year. 
I think it's going to be in my top 10. I don't know how high. I haven't really studied that yet. But uh, I, I kind of half expected it to be number one. I have been saying all along Leonardo DiCaprio wins Best Actor Ooh. nomination for this and probably the award. What do you think? Uh, I could see him getting nominated. I don't think he should win for this. Well, all right. There's a should win and will win. Uh, uh, fine, I'll say he doesn't win. All right. We'll uh, talk more about Oscars later, I guess, with this. Um, but, what did you think of the but, other acting performances? But, I mean, to go back to Leonardo right, DiCaprio, I, I think a lot of people are saying, well, you know, look at what his character goes through. Is he really acting? I mean, when he has to uh, try to stay warm, you know, and he's shivering cold, well, he's outside where it is really cold. I don't mm-hmm. feel like he's really acting. He's just going through and experiencing this stuff. Right. In a lot of ways, then, how does that performance differ from uh, Johnny Knoxville in the Jackass films? Right. You know, when he's I, suffering. I so, that, I mean, but... to me, that would be why I don't think he should win Best Actor. I get the argument. However, that being said, there's something in his performance that draws me as an audience to him, and I'm invested in to the whether or not he's successful. And I have an emo- I never, never, I rarely have an emotional attachment for characters in movies. But the more that I think about this movie, the more I kind of feel that I did have an attachment to him. The only other mo- character I can think of this year is the dying girl and me and Earl and the dying girl that I had a personal emotional attachment to. And I had a personal emotional attachment. I was invested in this guy's journey and his, um, I don't know, his intent and his motivations and, uh, I just, you know, it stuck with me after I left it more so than any of the other top movies. Okay. Cause I mean, so. for me, a very similar character arc struggle to survive is Matt Damon's character in the Martian. Mm-hmm. And that worked a lot better for me. I would give right. Matt Damon the Oscar over Leonardo DiCaprio. Might be a little bit more entertaining, but I can see why you can make an argument for both of them. I still think DiCaprio oh. wins, though, because I made the prediction back at the beginning of the year, and so I'm sticking and with it. And this is just one of those, this is finally his year. He's been nominated multiple times. Yeah, I think so. This is his breakthrough performance. Yeah. I think that's probably going to, I mean, they're going to recognize him for, he didn't get it for Wolf of Wall Street, or he didn't get the supporting actor for, um, oh. Gilbert Grape? No, I was thinking of the last Tarantino movie, what Django. Django, he was nominated for Jay Edgar. Oh, I, yeah, I, don't yeah, know. I mean, he's yeah. he's been nominated a lot. If you plugged in a different actor, do they get a nomination because of this role? Yeah, probably. Unless they don't pull it off. Like if if Tom Hardy is his role, mm-hmm. he probably gets a nomination. I like Tom Hardy a lot in this movie. I don't think he gets nominated for best you supporting put, actor. Uh, Tom Cruise in this role. If he plays. Well, then, see, Tom Cruise is just a little too cartoony, so it's hard to suggest. And I, I don't know. if you When you mentioned Tom Cruise, I was thinking action movies. And ironically, this is probably, this may be the best action movie I've seen this year. The, the, there are three action sequences that are, I, I would say, in the top five of action sequences throughout the year. One of them is really brief. Mm-hmm. Um, the action sequence that opens the movie is the feeling that I was half expecting when you said the opening sequence of the Avengers was among the best um, action sequences you've seen. And when I think back on it, 
I walked out of that. I, I was sorely disappointed. This one, I wasn't expecting an opening scene. Like, I wasn't expecting an open like that. I had oh, no, you hadn't heard about this. I hadn't heard about it. I had Ooh, nothing. Okay. Came out of nowhere, and it just it blew me away. And, and I was thinking about it. There were s- several instances. I mean, there were probably, I, I would say, at least 50 gags in there. Maybe 100 gags. And probably a whole lot of gags you didn't even see in terms of, like, stunt work and um, you know, maybe that some of it was con- computer generated, but I bet you there were a lot of practical effects, especially with those arrows mm-hmm. on zip lines or something like that. And, and it was, I, after that scene, I was sort of, you know, kind of breathless. And I was like, this is what movies are made for. This is what this experience is supposed to be like. So for me, this was probably the best. It probably was the best other than, I mean, uh, uh, th- uh, Thunder Road. <laughs> what is it? Mad Max Fury Road. Mad Max Fury Road. Uh, I keep thinking of Bruce Springsteen songs. Mad Max Fury Road, top to bottom's best action film, probably maybe of all time. This has some of the best action sequences of all time. It's just separated by a whole lot of guys freezing in the cold. Yeah, and I think one of the things that worked so well was that they heavily choreographed and rehearsed mm-hmm. these action sequences. That opening one. I think took him close to three weeks to film. So it's closer to like the Asian Kung Fu model of doing action sequences and just having a lot of time, Mm -hmm. you know, to get them right. And even though those have a lot more editing done to them, you know, uh, it just, it works better. Uh, We both are fans of the raid films. Mm -hmm. Some of those action sequences took them a week or more to do. Mm-hmm. And I think it pays off. And I don't know why Hollywood doesn't try and do that more. I mean, you can always add in CGI and explosions, but, you know, take the time with your actors, train them up and do these big, you know, one tape type action scenes. To me, that's what would put uh, butts in seats. A lot of them won't, don't want to make that kind of investment. Like you said, this one went way over budget. So a lot of producers aren't going to sort of tag but, that but you budget you plan out that you're going to have this much time i don't think they originally planned to take that long one of the problems was since they had such a limited window to film every day mm. um and a lot of times the sunlight wasn't the same from day to day that all they had was time to practice and choreograph and i think they kept adding in more mm. and more elements because they had the time to do it why don't you just give yourself that time and let talented directors and actors fight choreographers well you you have to do this. You also have to have the director that's motivated to do something like that. Not every director is like that. Not every director wants to make that sort of sacrifice. Like Inurito does is proven by Birdman. I mean, they practiced those scenes, which they had to, but they practiced those for months and blocked them out. They even mocked up an entire theater, you know? Oh, yeah. So, But I'm thinking the Raid movies, uh, John Wick is another one right. where there aren't a ton of cuts. But there also and aren't just, a whole lot of actors it, that want, I mean, sorry, directors that want to do that. I, I don't know why not. I mean, to me, that wins me over when it's not the quick cuts, when I can see what's going on. And I realize we both love Fury Road, and that's nothing but cuts. But right. that's a whole different style, and that's done with a whole lot of skill. And there were tons of storyboards for that. That was all heavily choreographed and planned out months and months, even years in advance. Right. To me, that pays off, and that makes cinema where I can go and recommend it to people. Go watch this. Right, but then with Glory Road, Thunder Road, Fury Road, Jiminy Christmas, with Fury Road and this movie, The Revenant, it it still is a hard recommendation to make because I think a lot of people have to be willing to. I mean, I don't 
it's a different type of entertainment mm -hmm. with uh fury road it's just there's a different aesthetic and a lot of people find some of what goes on in that disturbing like there's some visual things that happen mm -hmm. with different characters and they don't like the vault the violence so it's you gotta you gotta recommend it to a certain niche group yeah. this movie similarly i was i mean i love it i still don't know who i'd recommend it to i mean it'll get be seen by word of mouth but the slow parts of it, the the quieter parts, the parts where you have to just allow this torment to happen to this character, um, like his recovery and his travel, his journey or whatever. Those are the things where people in our theater, at least were, I mean, they were taken out of it. They were just like, yeah. Whatever. And there's a lot of dream sequence stuff that mm -hmm. I, I felt we were just getting bashed over the head with it. Right. One or two of those scenes was fine. I didn't need to ha see four or five Fleo's dreams. Right. So. Magical yeah, realism. Yeah, I, I agree. There, There's a lot of slowness at times, and it really is juxtaposed with those action sequences. The uh, But if you think this was like a three-month journey, and, or two-month journey, the character went on, and there were probably moments of six intense, weeks. intense action, followed by periods of oh you mean the real life guy slowness oh yeah I don't, you know what i looked into it the real life guy i mean it's tremendous what he did don't get me wrong but like halfway through his journey he found a raft and he found some people to help him so it's not like he made the whole trip all the way alone back to the to fort sioux or whatever it was mm -hmm. um not i mean that doesn't diminish his accomplishments he for christ's sake he was mauled by a bear but uh the movie sets up a whole lot of different action sequences and like key events that happen uh, that, I mean, to me, they, they, they were realistic, but I don't think they happened to the real character. Like uh, characters keep popping up. And even though we're supposed to be traveling dozens of miles, yeah, it's, these encounters, they're still bumping into each other. They're the only 50, 60 white people. In all of South Dakota, right. and they keep running into each other. It's it's a weird thing going on there with the different characters, and the and the and I never really did get a sense of distance or time. So I was kind of in that state where I, I think I was listening to the last serial podcast, and Bo Berdahl was a prisoner of war for like five or six years or whatever. After his second or third escape attempt he decided that there was no way that he could continue to make himself sober or sane or live through this experience if he thought about the future or if he thought about the past. All he had to do was live in that second. Mm -hmm. And every second, he said, was an eternity. I got that feeling through this movie, through uh, what was happening with Hugh Glass and Leonardo DiCaprio, that every every step along the way was an eternity. Um, and when those things happen in movies it's sort of sublime I, I love it and it's rare for me to have that kind of experience so i i've got i've grown to appreciate it a lot more since we've been away from it when i first came out of it there were a lot of things that bothered me but we can talk about it in spoilers if you're yeah, yeah, ready I think i'm ready all right let's go ahead and spoil this thing man the man that hath no music in himself nor is not moved with concord of sweet sounds is fit for treasons stratagems and spoils this movie the sequel to avatar what? <laughs> he goes native right he apparently he kills someone he fights uh there's they allude to the fact that he killed a an army general he was trying or an officer trying to kill his son right? who wiped out 
Well, yeah, he tried to kill somebody, wiped out his family, supposedly, and his whole entire village, right? Mm-hmm. And now this is the sequel. This is him fighting back or fighting, you know, having to deal with the ramifications of having gone native completely, trying to straddle that world. He no? He's attacked by a bear. No, that's a small part of the movie. I mean, that's a great <laughs> part visually, but you could get attacked by a big schlibba uh, wombat or whatever they have in Avatar. I'm just saying this is Fern Gully part two. No, I mean, Dances to me, this is the Martian minus Mars. Oh, okay. Plus a bear. Yeah. And Indians. Yeah, and Tom Hart. Okay. But, I mean, it's man versus nature. It's also man versus their own stupidity. Like, why do they walk through water all the time when it seems like they could they could choose not to? There's a lot of water walking. They have to get to the other side. They think they're like Jesus. No, they walk down the middle. Like, even the opening shot is, is water. They're walking down the middle. Well, he's in a swamp-type area. Go back and look. You'll see how many times they choose to walk through water as opposed to across water. Because it washes away your scent. makes tracking the animals easier. All right. And the sound of water covers over your footsteps. It's also also pretty cold. Oh, don't be a wuss. Other than the bear attack, though, they weren't really afraid of animals, right? I don't think that happens much in the movie. Yeah, no, it's only that one bear. One giant bear. You're kind of hoping the bear would show back up at the end. As As a revenant itself? A revenant ghost is, bear. Yeah, ghost bear. I would have enjoyed that. Are you say Tom Hardy's evil? Yeah, oh yeah, he's definitely evil. I say he's the most pragmatic and perhaps the smartest guy there. Oh, a bunch of dumb people. Might might not be the best tracker or anything, but well, he, he kept to, saying he wants to stay in the boat. Yeah, that was a that was a bad idea. That was a good idea to get off the boat. Yeah, because I'm pretty sure those guys die. We don't see him again in the film. I think they show the boat burned up. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So they're so that's not too smart. No, that's not too smart. He nah. wants to lug all the furs back with them, even though there's no way they can carry them. That's not too smart. Well, they do, but he's not the only he one. Leave wait a Leonardo minute. Oh, wait, let's stay with that point. He's not the only one that wants to do that. In fact, most of them want to do that. Okay. But, but that's why they were there. He's not the most pragmatic. I mean, digging a hole and hiding them is pretty smart. So you can come back and get them. Maybe, but then they, I mean, it's it's overrun with Indians. Um, and probably the last thing is he wants to kill Leonardo DiCaprio, but kills his son instead and decides to leave Leo alive. Right. Like I said, could have ended that pretty quick. So that doesn't make him evil though. I think he's, I think he feels guilty. That's why he leaves him alive. So you might be right. He's not pragmatic, but he's also, I don't think he's evil. I mean, if you want to say selfish, but I I think, I feel like he's pretty darn evil. He's very manipulative. Hmm. He goes to... He goes to Leonardo DiCaprio's character and he says, if you blink, then I'm going to put you down. DiCaprio blinks. He just closes his eyes eventually. He, and he blinks. He doesn't just close his eyes eventually. Yeah, because I remember sitting in the theater trying to keep my eyes open during that whole time. Because I'm someone who blinks a lot. He and if someone was like, you assertively blink. blinks. He has an agreement with him. That's why he lets him go at the end. That's why he lets him down the river. That's what, and the only reason he wants to get any revenge on him at all, it's not just necessarily because they left him. It's because he killed his son, and Tom Hardy kills the kid because the kid is fighting him. Well, Tom Hardy's trying to stop him from killing his father. No, Tom Hardy's trying to stop, or the kid's trying to stop Tom Hardy from killing his father. Right, right. And he kills the kid, but the yeah, kid's just, attacking him. It's just like the bear. They're just struggling. All of a sudden, he pulls a knife on the kid. It's not that they're just struggling. He's being attacked. I mean, he. You get attacked, you kill the bear. Sometimes he's you kill the bar, sometimes a, the bar kills you. Kid, and he's a full-grown man. You get attacked by an Indian. He, he didn't have to 
resorts killing him. When I think about why he let him go, why he let Tom, why he let you're you're saying Leo at the Leo end of the film live. Well, no, all right. So there's two situations, but when I think about why Fitzgerald allowed Hugh Glass to live, I think it's because he felt guilty for having killed his son. Let him live by putting him into a pit, covering him with dirt. Not killing him, not shooting him in the head, not stabbing him. So instead, it's better to let the guy slowly die of natural causes. Well, then there's also the the fact that there's a witness there. Or like you, he would have had to do that in front of him. It's kinder to let someone die of thirst than it is to put a bullet in their brain. Well, it's not that it's kind. They had a deal. He, he even be, says at the end of the film, "We had a deal." But you're saying he lets him live because yeah, I think he, he feels, feels guilty because he killed his son. I think he felt guilty so, when he killed his son. So because he feels guilty, he thinks it would be nicer to let Leo die of thirst than to kill him quick and end his suffering. Yeah, I, I'm not I'm really sure why he decides not to do it. Yeah, I, I feel like that argument has some holes. I, they had a deal. <laughs> they had a deal. No, so Leonardo DiCaprio agreed to it. He just closed his eyes. No. So that he couldn't blink. Because I think he just was trying to keep eyes. his eyes open. It's like, crud, this guy's, as soon as my eyes, you know, naturally, they have to blink because I've kept them wide open for two minutes now. I'm dead. So he just closes them and keeps them shut. Nope. I'm telling you, he assertively blinks. He agrees to it. And if he didn't agree to it, then Hugh Glass is the asshole because he is going to die there. Or his son will probably die there with him. Probably. He wants to live. Oh, sorry. I shouldn't have cursed. He wants to live. I don't think he does. I think he wanted Hugh Glass to, or I think he wanted uh, Tom Hardy to kill Tom Hardy constantly rearranges the truth and he lies to see things in his own light. So when he's, you know, at the end of the movie asserting, oh, we had a deal. Nah. But he's, he's doing it in a practical sense. I mean, he's, he's got to save himself. It's just like, okay. Uh, and if he wants to save himself, then he doesn't stay behind with the body. If he's that worried about dying. Didn't they stay for a couple of days with the body? Yeah. But he could have stayed with the group instead. He wanted the money. Yeah. The evil money. <laughs> the root of all evil. Well, why are they all up there? They're all up there for money. That's what they do. Yeah, but he I mean, goes, what... oh, you know, I can't spend 75 bucks if I'm dead. And when it gets up to 300, he's like, all right, I'll, I'll do it. Right. He's a good haggler. He's a pragmatic man. I, th- I think he's very evil. And I think a lot of that is Hardy's performance, the way he just has those dead eyes. There's a scene um, when uh, the kid, uh, Will Poulter, pulls the gun on him. Okay. And he's just staring down the barrel at it. You can't do that if you're a good person. Yeah. You, you, you gotta have very, some dead in your soul to pull that off. It might they might have cut his soul out of his body when they when they scalped him while he was still alive. Yeah, I wish they talked about that pretty some cool. more. Yeah, that's a pretty cool visual though, in terms of what these people had to put up with. Oh yeah, and I mean you can understand why this guy acts the way he does and why he he has a hard view on why life. he's so evil. I say evil. <laughs> I say that it explains, at least in terms of what happens at the at the end of the movie with him, revenge is left to nature or whatever, and he and he just kind of lets him float down the, the water to the Indians. I think it's because he realizes, yeah, they did have a deal. DiCaprio realizes, or Hugh Glass realizes, yeah, you're right. So I don't think he says that. down the then, river because then he's not Well, if the him. Indians don't kill him. Then he has a chance to live, just as just as much as uh, Hugh Glass had a chance to He's live. Been when the stabbed bears a bunch of times. Yeah, he was mauled by a bear. No, no, no. I'm ta- I'm talking Tom Hardy. Well, I'm saying that his that, character's going to die. He's been stabbed a bunch. 
maybe well maybe don't you could say the same thing about a, Hugh Glass's character that was a big night yeah and you don't survive that and he still got to make so it back so you don't to, think that Hugh Glass survives Hugh Glass got incredibly lucky no i mean at the at the end of the movie after that fight cuz i think he takes as many hits as uh Maybe not as many, but he takes quite a few hits. The same number of yeah, he gets stabbed he's pretty in the brutalized. I, I, I by... think he survives. I mean, I know in real life he survived a couple more years until he was killed by Indians. Well, I think Fitzgerald or lived Native Americans. Fitzgerald lived for like twenty five years or something. Oh yeah, in, in real life, Glass didn't life, kill was... anyone in revenge. They they made up. Yeah, and I think I read somewhere that Glass didn't want to kill Fitzgerald because he was a soldier. He had signed up as a soldier, and there's a. Like there was a penalty yeah, yeah. of murder, probably so. death. Yeah, if he had killed him, and then the kid he didn't blame. He said the kid was still so young. That guy becomes pretty famous in uh, that circle of um, what's it called, the Northwest Passage. Mm-hmm. When they how do they get to Oregon uh, Trail? Yeah, um, the Donner family apparently visited him or stopped at his fort, whatever his fort was. I don't think he was there, but uh, yeah, he was involved in a lot of things with American history. Oh, I like the. Uh, Will Poulter in this movie. I don't think I'd like him. Is it Will Poulter? Mm-hmm. I don't think I've liked him in much anything else. You didn't I've like him in um, Were the Millers? Mm-mm. Or uh, he was in The Scorch Trials? Yeah, wasn't he in that? Maze that's Runner? the Divergent thing. Maze Runner? No. Similar. Yeah, yeah. yeah <laughs> Maze Runner is its own thing. But yeah, uh, teen dystopian. All right. Um, were you as frustrated with the film as I was with the effect of the splatter on the glass or the blood splatter? On the lens, I think you mentioned one time, he f- it fogs up because yeah. he's breathing on yeah, it. Yeah, Leo's breath fogs up. No, that didn't bother me. I, I felt that that was a stylistic choice. And, you know, I, I don't mind at the end when Leo breaks the fourth wall and looks directly into the camera. Yeah, well, it's that ambiguous ending that Inurito is so fond of. Because <laughs> yeah. I, I guess the breathing happens after credits. Post-credits, it goes down and he continues to breathe, so... I guess that leads me to believe he, he lives somehow. He makes it back to the fort. I have no idea why. Yeah, I, I don't know. I didn't find that as ambiguous, but... Well, what did you think it was when he stared into the into the camera? Holy crud, what do I do now? My whole life has been about... But that... The last couple of months has all been about surviving and gaining revenge. Now I have. Now what do I do with my life? That's what that, that's what that visual pulls mm-hmm. off? Cause that's it, what I thought, and then it's like, holy crud! This place is harsh. This is hard. But when he had motivation, the theater he was that able he's looking at, the theater full of confused people. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I thought it's, it would have been great if he had said, hmm, "Well, that happened." <laughs> if he like said, "What's up, man?" Uh, I don't know. I, I didn't really like the way that Inurito chooses to end it. I thought it was a little overwrought. I thought it was consistent with everything else that happened in the movie. Uh, and then I, this was filmed with. Uh, what were they? It was the first time they filmed with this special type of camera. I know they used digital to film this because it gave them an extra hour of filming a day. I think it was it could 6K. film in lower light. Sounds about right. It's the first feature film to be shot with a new 6K, 6.5K RE65 cameras. I, don't know. I think it's a good movie. I don't know if it makes back its budget, though. It made like $50 million this this week. Uh, yeah, but or it costs 135 million to make. Marketing's going to be another 40 million, and you've got to make almost double that to make back your money. I think it makes it back. I think it'll make it back in the long run. Yeah, and I mean to me though, this this is worrisome. I like Inurito as a director, but he needs to stick to smaller budget stuff. He's becoming like um, was it Michael 
Camino, Camino, uh, Simeon, Simeon, yeah, the director of the Deer Hunter. Mm. You know, much better with wow. smaller scale film. What a pull, <laughs> deep pull. I, I mean, I really think. I mean, Inurito set up to make the harshest film he could make. You know, and basically you're spending money just waiting for the sun to come out so you can shoot for an hour or so a day. Yeah, but that's not smart. And where does he go from here? Because I think he wants to do bigger and grander, and eventually you're just not going to have the return on the box office. I I don't know. I think this is the perfect size story. It doesn't go too epic. I mean, it's an epic tale, but it's still one man's struggle. But it's still a $135 million picture. Right. For basically an art house film. But that made $50 million its first year. I mean, the first week. And if it gets all this not Oscar, uh, you know, positive press because of DiCaprio's performance. And, I mean, he might win Best Director. Might even win Best Picture. If, he, if it gets all that, then he'll easily make it back. It's got to make $250 million at least to make back its money. Probably closer to $300 million. Over time, it'll make it and back. And then when this guy wants to do his next film, and it, you know, doesn't do as well. Back-to-back Best Director? Oscar? I don't think he gets Director. I think they'll give it to someone else. I don't know. I, but I, I just... I, the trajectory of this guy seems a lot like Deer Hunter to me. Okay. This isn't. This doesn't say Spielberg to me. Well, thank God, because Spielberg... I, I don't know. I don't like Spielberg's vision as much as I like but this But he can vision. go from small to big budget movies, and he was still able to make his money and still have him be right. bots off its successes. Well, I hope you're not right in your assessment of Inurito. And I, I, I really want to see the next thing that he does. I do too. I'm hoping that the studio is smart and only gives them 15 to 20 million. <laughs> How much was uh, Birdman? 30? I don't even think it was that much. Huh. All right. So, I, you know, you just, you, you got to well, wait watch a minute. So, if scale. they didn't keep pouring money into this movie, it wouldn't have been made. And then. Yeah, they were too far to stop. Well, no, I mean, then we wouldn't have seen it. And you would have been happy with that? No, I, I mean. I would be very cautious of giving this guy another big budget movie because really all he's done is small scale stuff before this. This was by mm. far, by two or three times, I think he said, the budget that he's ever had. Mm. And I'm just worried where he goes from here. All right. Fair enough. You know, when he says, I want to make a crusade film or something. Uh, I don't want, yeah, I, I don't want that kind of stuff. But Or, you know, if he starts going the Hertzog direction and says, you know, I want to go up the Amazon River <laughs> or pull a boat <laughs> over a hill. Yeah. All right. So. Fair enough. I hope that the prediction doesn't come true. I hope my prediction comes true about him being awarded uh, Best Actor, Leonardo DiCaprio, that is, for his portrayal of Hugh Glass. Yeah, fair enough. Um, next week is uh, Top Ten. Top Ten. Starting our Top Ten list of the year of uh, films. Yeah, looking back at twenty at the films that came out in 2015, what we felt were the top 10 films. We'll you each mentioned, be presenting uh, our list. You mentioned having a film of the year for the Laugh Podcast. I think Laugh needs to nominate a film right. say this, or give out the award because we didn't do it on the award show, top film. No, we did not. So, so I like that idea. Hopefully we can come to some consensus. If you want, you could email the show and tell us what we should uh, have as our number one film. You can let us know what your pick was for the top film. You can do that by emailing the Laugh Podcast at gmail.com. You can tweet us at the Laugh Podcast or you can send us a message on the good old Facebook at facebook.com slash the Laugh Podcast. Excellent. You know, poor David Bowie died this week. I do. Did you like him? Yeah, I liked some of his movies. Uh, 
died peacefully surrounded by his family after a courageous 18-month battle with cancer. This is my favorite quote by uh, David Bowie. You would think that being a rock star, being married to a supermodel, would be one of the greatest things in the world. It is. <laughs> so for Mr. Two Frames over there, I'm the L-Train. Pox that bottom, everybody. There be dragons. <laughs>